Last week, uh, we talked about repentance and the 10 principles that, that apply to our repentance and 10 things that we can do um, when we are in a, a season of repentance or a time of repentance in our own lives. And we should be in a time of repentance all the time. You know that, right? I mean, we always want God to be renewing our mind, right? We don't, we don't want to be stuck. We don't want to always think the same way. Um, but I just want to ask you, uh, does anybody remember any of them? <laughs> there were 10, 10 principles of repentance. Anybody remember any? Fasting. Yeah, first one. Good job. Right out of the gate. Fasting. What else? Confessing. Yep. What else? I'm sorry? Worship. Yes. What else? Assembling together, being together with other believers, confessing to other believers. Yeah. Anything else? What? Oh, yeah. The, well, yeah, that would go with uh, um, sackcloth and ashes, the feeling remorse, allowing yourself to feel remorseful. Yeah. Yep. Anything else? Okay. There's more. But you can go on YouTube and watch the message because I'm going to do a different one today. But it starts with that. Historically, that's what's happening is, you know, I won't go into all of the history of the book of Nehemiah, but they are at a place where, where you know, they've had the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In chapter 8, they're talking about that. And now they have come together. They've assembled together, and they've listened to the word of God for hours. They've confessed for hours, and they have uh, worshiped. And may I just say that the best thing you can do when you start to pray is to thank God. You know, Susie talked about being thankful. Thanking God, that's the way to enter into his throne of grace is with thanksgiving in your heart. You know, we rush in and it's, it's kind of like, you know, if your teenagers come, hey, can I have some money? It's like, hi to you too, <laughs> you know? To come into God's presence and allow him to show you who he is again. Because that's what happens when we, when we start to praise him and thank him and worship him. He reminds us again of his greatness. Because, you know, we backslide overnight. I don't know if you know that, but we have the tendency to forget. We forget um, who he is. We forget all the great things he's done for us in our lives. And so uh, when we enter into his presence... We should start out by giving him thanks, right? When the Bible says, magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name together. Magnify means to make something larger. I mean, not that you can make God larger, but in your brain you can. In your, in your consciousness, God can become larger. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? Because remember last week I talked about he is the God who created the big dog constellation. Remember I talked about that. That is twice as big as the earth's rotation around the sun. This is a huge God. This is a massive, never-ending God. And so when we come into his presence, it's good for us to come in thankful and humble. Right? Right? Let me see if you're still awake. Okay, good. Okay, so we are going to start... Uh, Nehemiah 9, and I, I called this message the problem with sin. So, oh, she leaves right now. See? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to read a really long passage. Um, so please bear with me. Please do not shut your mind off. Oh, she's going to read this long passage. Listen to this. This is the word of God. This, this is full of all kinds of information. And I'll point out a few things as we go, but please stay alert and really hear what the word of the Lord is. So here they're all assembled together and the Levites are praying. This is what they're praying. I'm going to start back a little bit on verse five. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Okay, that's a pretty strong definition of God. Verse 7, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out 
of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Girgashites, Utites. I made that one up. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. Make note of that. The God of the universe kept his promise because he is what? He is righteous, which means he does everything right. God never says oops. God never makes mistakes. Verse 9, you saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself. He made a name for himself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths, like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. In their thirst, you brought them water from a rock. You told them to go in, to take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. That just means that the hand of God, the uplifted hand, means it's a symbol of his power. And when he said it, it it became their land, right? Verse 16, we're going to see a pattern here now. I want you to watch for this pattern because it's going to happen six times. Verse 16, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Take note of that, too. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves the image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them. In the wilderness, they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Verse 22, you gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky. You brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued them before the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands along with their kings and the peoples of the land to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things. Wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance, They ate to the full and they were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. Verse 26. But they were disobedient. They rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed... They cried out to you. From heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. 
Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. In your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn their back to your law. Oh, to turn them back to your law. I'm sorry. Wow, that was that was big, big error. <laughs> Let me start over. Verse 29. But you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you. They became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. Get that? For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them, nor did you abandon them, for you are gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come upon us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You, you have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings and our leaders, our priests and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in your kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land that you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Verse 37, because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. And note this, we are in great distress. Verse 38, in view of all this, when the, all this, all this history, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. We're putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Now, this is the longest history of the Old Testament contained within the Old Testament. Okay, this is the prayer that they're praying. So you see this pattern? Did you see a pattern there? So my conclusion is, we have a problem with sin, right? Nehemiah, it's uh, in verse 38. In view of all this, we're making a binding agreement. We're putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our, pri- our priests are affixing their seals to it. This time we're serious. Those other times, throughout the thousand years, This history, we weren't serious. But now, we are serious. Do you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a New Year's resolution. (laughs) You know, I think if you hear a lot of, of speakers, teachers of the word of God, they would say, and we need to do this too. We need to, we need to write it down. We need to, this is how we need to repent. But what are the odds? Really? Over a thousand years? I mean, when I, when I read about this, I get super judgmental of the Israelites. Like, they are idiots. Imagine. Okay, we, we gloss over this, you know, oh yeah, the parting of the Red Sea. No, think about this for a minute. Your enemies are pursuing you. They are basically out to kill you. They're behind you, the Egyptians. And you're, you're chucking along, going as fast as you can, and all of a sudden, oh, oh, ran into the Red Sea right? You're hosed. You're done. It's over, right? That's it. That's the end. But then, okay, just envision this, okay? Have you ever seen the ocean? How many of you have seen the ocean? Okay. Imagine, all of a sudden, 
it parts. It parts. See, we read that and we're like, oh yeah, and then Moses held out his staff and then the Red Sea parted. No, it, the, the water separated and they walked through on dry ground. Okay, three seconds ago, this was water. Now it's dry. Have you ever, have you ever went to, gone up to the Great Salt Lake? You know when you walk and it's like, you know, if you walk on the muddy, yeah. It wasn't like that. They walked on dry ground. Okay? These people watched that happen. They watched that happen. And yet, what did they do? They became stiff-necked and arrogant. They acted wickedly. What? Are you kidding me? Seriously? I mean, this is how I read it. I'm thinking, why in the world? You were in the promised land, and you became slaves in your own land, the land that the Lord had given you. Why? That's how I read it. This is, this is a thousand years worth of history. And, and for them to say, this time we're serious. And I get so judgmental of the Israelites until I go, wait, look at my life. How many times, how many times do we do the same thing we can't stop? And we think, oh, this time I'm going to do it. This time I'm going to do it. This time I'm not going to those websites. I'm not going to do it today. Or I'm not going to gossip today. I'm not going to gossip. Or I'm not going to lie this time. I'm going to tell the truth. Or I'm not going to lust after someone. Or whatever. How many times? See, we have a problem with sin. And the coolest thing is that Jesus already knows that. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, And when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, that would be us, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, we have a problem with sin, but the Lord has mercy for us. The Lord has a solution. He already knows that we're helpless and we're confused. We're like sheep without a shepherd. Nehemiah 9 verse 8 says, you kept your promise because you are righteous. You notice how God's character didn't change through all of that history? He continued. He continued to pour out his love. He continued to try to woo them back. He continued to bless them despite the fact that they didn't deserve it. He continued to pour out his mercy. Mercy just means not getting what you deserve. But God continued over and over and over. And you know, people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament, he's so angry. Really? I mean, yeah, he, you know, he gave them over to their enemies, but what would we have done? You know, it says because he was righteous, he kept his promise. He didn't, he didn't just give them up. He kept his promise to us. And Psalm 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. You know, when it says he's good, that's, we don't define good the same way that the Bible defines good. When it says God is good, it's like yesterday I gave my dogs a treat. I was like, oh, is that good? It's not the same good, right? Or, oh yeah, that, that movie was pretty good. And that's kind of low on the scale, isn't it? No, that movie was awesome. I mean, that, you know, that movie's good. If we say, oh, that's good, that doesn't mean it was amazing. The definition for good in the Bible means off the charts, Incredible, unfathomable. That's how our God is, okay? It says that he is good to everyone. 
and he showers compassion on all his creation. Is it raining out right now? It's not raining, is it? When, we, when I first got here this morning, it was just drizzling, and Eric prayed, and he prayed, you know, that that's like, like God's presence and God's grace on us. But you know when you go into a torrential rainstorm and it's just buckets on top of you? That's what this word is, showers. It's not like this light drizzle. It's like boom. That's what this is. That's what these showers of compassion that he has for all his creation. Because the thing is, again, he knows we are confused and helpless. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot change. We cannot determine, I am not going to sin anymore. We can't determine that in our own minds. We can try. And, and I welcome you. If you can keep all 633 tenets of the law in the Old Testament, if you think you can do that, have at it. But Jesus says, in Luke twenty two twenty, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. See, we needed a new covenant because for thousand, a thousand years, we couldn't seem to keep this covenant. We couldn't seem to be good enough. We couldn't stop sinning. We couldn't stop becoming rebellious and wicked and evil and arrogant. We couldn't. Do you know why? Because, like Romans 7 says, that which I want to do, I cannot do. The thing that I don't want to do, I continue to do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for his glorious gift. You know, I, I know I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again because I'm redundant that way. That's what happens when you get older. You start saying the same things over and over. And, but you forget, so it's kind of okay because it's new to you. So, <laughs> you know, when you killed somebody in, in Rome in those days, your punishment was they would chain their dead body to you. And you'd have to drag their dead body. Does it look like The Walking Dead? <laughs> anyway, um, that was an aside. But can you imagine you kill someone and you have to drag their stinky, gross, dead corpse with you? That's what our flesh is like. That is what our sinful nature is like when we are unregenerate. Unregenerate means we are not born again. Because Jesus says, this cup is a covenant, a new covenant between God and us. Because he knows we are confused, we're helpless, we're broken, we're in distress. The Israelites put themselves in distress. And this is what the enemy wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that, hey, you know, you got yourself into that mess. It's your fault. You went to those websites. You looked at those things. You know, you said those horrible things. You know, you let your anger get the best of you. You know, you let yourself go there in your mind. Whatever, whatever it is, the enemy says, how dare you? How dare you ask for forgiveness? How dare you ask God to deliver you? You did this to yourself. You put yourself in distress. It's your fault. That is a lie. That is a lie. Because Jesus says there's a new covenant because of his blood that was poured out for us. We, we can't do it ourselves. We cannot do it ourselves. There was a man who died, and uh, he went to heaven, and he was standing at the pearly gates, and St. Peter was there. Okay, I don't really believe this, so... I don't want to get any emails from people telling me that's not how it is. But anyway, for the sake of the story, just go along with me, okay? So this guy's standing there, and he goes, I'd like to get into heaven, please. And St. Peter says, okay, fine, that's great. We're on a point system here. The guy goes, awesome. I have lived an awesome life. St. Peter goes, okay, all you need to do is have 100 points. The guy's like, excellent. 
I stayed married to the same woman for 50 years and I never lusted even in my heart. Like after another woman, St. Peter goes, that is great. Three points. Guys, like 50 years? I get three points for 50 years? He goes, that's the system. He goes, okay, all right. I, I tithed, I gave of my first fruits my entire life. I gave to my church. St. Peter goes, that is great. One point. Guy's like, one point? He goes, well, that's how it works. The guy goes, okay. I started Jesus Feeds Ministry at the Adventure, and I gave food to thousands and thousands of people. St. Peter goes, that is fantastic. Meeting the needs of the poor, that's one point. The guy goes, are you kidding me? One point? At this rate, I can't even get into heaven without the grace of God. St. Peter says, come on in. Aren't you so happy about that? Yeah, Yeah, I think I'm up to like two points now. (laughs) The good news is for us, okay? It's good. It's not just, yeah, it's just good. It's really good, okay? Colossians 1.6 says, This same good news that came to you is going out over all the world, and it is bearing fruit everywhere by what? Changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. It's saying here that this good news is changing lives. So I just want to encourage you that the good news should be changing your life. Because if you are truly born again of God's Spirit, that his spirit now lives in you and is at work in you. There should be a difference between you and everyone else at work. You shouldn't look like your neighbors who don't know the Lord. You should be different. Because the gospel, it says, it's bearing fruit by changing lives. So if you don't know God, now the word know isn't, isn't like, oh yeah, I know that guy. I, I went to high school with him. Or, oh yeah, I knew that clerk at the grocery store. It's not that kind of know. It's the kind of know that the Bible speaks of that is like a husband and wife being intimate. Not in a perverted way, of course, but the deepest That is the closest and deepest level of intimacy that is used to describe what should be the relationship that we would have with God. Not in a gross way. Don't let your minds go there. Seriously, I'm talking about this intimacy with God is so deep and profound, and that is the relationship he is drawing us into, a relationship where we know him. Okay, so that when it comes to the, to the time when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which the Bible talks about, he doesn't say, apart from me, depart. I never knew you. Even though you did all these good works, I didn't know you. See, and this isn't bad news. Because if you're in that condition today, there's a reason that you're here. Because Jesus wants you to be born again of his spirit. Not of your own spirit any longer. Not motivated by your selfish, selfishness and your, and your um, earthly desires. He wants you to be born again of his spirit so that you can have intimacy with him. And that he can change your life. That's what it's about. That is what the good news is. That is what the gospel is. Is that we are confused, we are helpless, we are in distress, but God pours out his mercy. He showers us with his compassion because he knows we cannot set ourselves free. We cannot. That is why Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, he was God, he came down and he became like us. He became fully human, right? He was a baby, the whole manger thing. That was 
God Almighty becoming a human being. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. God Almighty humbled himself and became a baby so he could relate to us because he wanted to bring us a new covenant in his blood because he knew we couldn't save ourselves. So he paid the penalty. His blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven. As undeserving as those Israelites were, as undeserving as they were over and over and over, they were forgiven and they were drawn back into the promised land. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us as believers. Did you know that it is possible to live a life that is free of anxiety? Did you know that you can be set free from depression and worry? And I'm not going to try to give you some little pat answer, but I can tell you that when this woman came to Jesus, I was a wreck. I was a wreck. I was an addict. I was addicted to lots of different things. I was promiscuous. I was broken. I was a bulimic. I was a compulsive liar. And when I had that revelation that I could be forgiven, the Lord showed me who he was. And I was born again. And not only was I just born again in my brain, like, oh yeah, now I believe. It began to bear fruit in my life. This gospel changed my life. And that's what the Lord's desire is for all of us. And I'm so grateful that Eric gives me the opportunity to speak to you. And I know that I'm kind of fanatic. I know that about myself. So I'm not (laughs) self-deceived. But I don't want any of you to go to hell. Just to be honest. I don't want you to be self-deceived into thinking, oh, well, I've been, I've been going to church for 25 years, and I do this, and I do that, and blah, blah, blah. Okay? Unless you understand that you, you can receive this message of grace, you can receive what Jesus offered on the cross, he will say to you, depart from me. I, I never knew you. It's the end of mercy right there. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry that this is so heavy, but to be honest with you, I would rather offend you than offend God. Romans 12, 1. And so, in view of God's mercy, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let him change you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. You will not know God's will for you if you haven't fully surrendered to him. And I can guarantee you that if God, even if he's super high on your priority list, he's number two. If he's number two, you will not live a life that is fulfilled. You will not. You will not live the abundant life Jesus is calling you to. Now, please do not hear me say that you have to do good works and you have to give and you have to do all these things to earn your salvation. That is a lie. But if you want to live a life of freedom and blessing and intimacy with God so that you truly know him and know his spirit, he has to be number one. It says he will share his glory with no other. Right? And so if you want to know God's will for your life, surrender. Surrender. It's not about trying harder. It's about surrendering more. 2 Corinthians says... Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. 
Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. So I implore you, if you aren't sure, today is your day. Jesus Christ is revealing himself today. He is revealing his good news. He is revealing his compassion to us. He is revealing his mercy so that we can be changed, that our lives can be changed, that we can bear fruit. You know, it says in, in um, Matthew seven sixteen, it says that we will know them by their fruits. That's not just so that we can be judgmental of people. That's so we can examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Because like I said, if there's no difference between you and and the people that you work with, except that you go to church on Sundays and they don't, are you really born again? Are you really born of his spirit? You know, it it says we are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. Jesus Christ came down. He dealt with every single temptation that, we've, that we deal with. He became a human being. The pain that he felt when he was being beaten, when he suffered and died on the cross, that's the same kind of pain that we would feel were we to go through the same thing. It's not like, you know, God just gave him like this godly anesthetic that, oh yeah, Jesus isn't going to feel pain because he's God and he can heal himself. He didn't do that. He suffered, he was broken, and he paid the penalty for our sin. And that is the good news. That is the good news. And the good news is that he wants us to be set free. He wants to prosper us. He wants to bless us. He wants to pour out his compassion on us. He wants to shower us with mercy and with compassion. 1 John 1, this is the message we heard from Jesus. And now we declare it to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have, been, we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How much sin? all sin. And that's why I think I'm so fanatic, I'm so passionate, because I can promise you that as you surrender to God, he will cleanse you from all sin. He will clean up your act. You know, you don't have to get your act all cleaned up before you come to him. The Israelites certainly didn't for a thousand years. He will cleanse you. He will clean up your act. And that is the good news. Amen? Because when you get to heaven, come on in. Because it's the grace of God. It's not going to be your works. I mean, you are welcome to try that. If you, you, there's, either, there's one way you can get to heaven or another. Either you can keep every single law, all 633 of them. Is there anybody that, anybody that, does, that has kept all? Eric has pretty sure he hasn't. (laughs) Not simultaneously. You can either do that and then stand before God and say, I was perfect. I did everything that you said to do in your law. Or you can receive the offering that Jesus Christ gave for us when his blood was poured out for the remission of sin. Because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And that's why Jesus' blood poured out so that we could be cleansed, so that we could be set free, that we could be delivered, that we could live in peace and have hope and joy and the abundant life that Jesus promises us, so that we can live in the light, not in spiritual darkness. Amen? Amen. Let's give a shout out to Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) So this good news is not just for me and you, even though it is. It's also for others. It's for others. And that's why, you know, when, when we are born again, Jesus doesn't just 
take us to heaven. He keeps us here because he wants to see his kingdom expanded upon the earth. And there is a reason that you live in Utah right now, unless you're a guest, and I apologize if you don't live here. (laughs) There's a reason that God has you here. Do not assume that there's not. And stop trying to get out of here. You Christians, (laughs) stop it. (laughs) Uh, Matthew 9, 37. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great. It's massive. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into this field. Okay, that word ask, that is the strongest form of pleading. It's not just like, hey, so, like, God, if have a chance. Can you send some workers here? It's like, please, God, these people are dying here under a religious system. Lord, these people are dying. They're trying to earn their salvation. God, they don't see it. Send others. Send others. It's pleading with him, God, send workers. I've been praying this since we moved here in 1999. God, send workers. And I apologize if you don't want to be here and I prayed you in. I apologize, but I'm not sorry. (laughs) Thank you. Ah, there's a prime example. (laughs) Jesus wants to save the people of Utah. Jesus wants to give them the abundant life. His desire is that all would come to the repentance and the knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody. And that's why we need to be bold and share the good news. It's not enough to just be a nice neighbor and be a nice person and do good things. That's nice. That's great. But you don't get any points for that. (laughs) You get one. If you do it your whole life, perfectly. You have to share the gospel. Faith comes through hearing hearing through the word of God. You have to be bold. And if you look like an idiot, oh well, so be it. It's just like I said, I'd rather offend you than than God. Right? And he has called us. The Bible says, pray Paul himself, guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, pray for me that I could boldly proclaim the gospel as I ought to. He's, He's saying pray for him, Paul, the apostle. I mean, I am a spiritual wimp compared to that guy. And pray for yourselves. I pray for you that you would be bold. Do any of you know anyone who does not know the Lord? Anybody? Just raise your hand if you do. Okay, so I'm going to challenge you this week. Be bold. This is good news. (laughs) This is good news. It's incredible, awesome, amazing, magnificent news. People are helpless and confused and in distress. And they probably put themselves there. But God gave us a new covenant through Jesus Christ because of the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins. He paid the price for our sins so that we can have eternal life, so that we can have an abundant life, so that we can know the creator of the universe, the one who created the heavens, the highest heavens, and all the stars and everything, and the mountains, those mountains. I love those mountains. He created those, and he wants an intimate relationship with us, and he wants an intimate relationship with your neighbors. And the people at work, especially the ones that bug you the most. Wouldn't it be great if they became Christians? Make your life easier. See, selfish motivation. Preach the gospel. (laughs) But I mean, seriously, you are here for a reason. Be bold. Be bold. I challenge you this week. And um, we are going to take communion now as a symbol of what the new covenant is, Jesus said that we should do this on a regular basis and that when we do it to remember him. So the little wafer, that symbolizes, that symbolizes his body 
that he became just like us. He became a human being. He felt pain. He felt sorrow. He felt disappointment. He's experienced everything we've experienced. He became a human being and he allowed his body to be broken for us so that we could be born again of his spirit. That we would no longer walk according to the flesh, but that we would walk according to his spirit. That we would be delivered from our distress and our bondage and we could walk in the light. And then, don't take it yet, we're going to take it all together, okay? And then this little cup represents his blood that was poured out when he was on the cross. Poured out so that we could be free, so that we could walk in forgiveness, that we wouldn't have to try to keep the law, but that we could live according to his spirit, that we could be forgiven. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take this together. And I want to address three different groups here this morning. If you have felt convicted in any way today that maybe you don't know him, regardless of if you've been going to church for years and years, if you don't see him changing you and you know that you're not living according to his spirit, there's good news for you. You can be filled with his spirit. You can be born again. You can be delivered and set free for him. The second group that I want to address is those you've been trying to set yourself free. This time I mean it. This time I'm going to stop, fill in the blank. Or I'm going to start, fill in the blank. This message is for you. You don't have to do that anymore. Don't hear me say, oh yeah, go ahead and sin like a dog. I don't know why they use that saying. I think it should be cat. But that's a bias. I'm not saying you have full permission because if you are truly born again of his spirit, you don't want to keep sinning. You will want to live your life in the light. You will want to please him. You won't want to continue. So if he has spoken to you, surrender. Surrender. It doesn't matter if you write it down and stamp it with your signet ring and how serious you are. Let go. Receive his forgiveness, receive his grace, and trust that he is faithful, and he will do it, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the third group I want to talk to, and actually it can encapsulate the first two, I want to challenge you this week. We're going to pray together. Actually, are, are we close? Um, I want to challenge you to invite the Holy Spirit to place someone on your heart that needs to know the good news. Okay? And I want you to be bold. I want you to ask the Lord for an opportunity. You know, I always say that. If you pray, Jesus, send me the hungry ones, he will do it. He is faithful to answer that prayer. He loves to answer that prayer. And you never know the person that you share the good news with, you don't know who they're going to become. They could be a a broken addict, cocaine dealer, liar, what else? (laughs) That becomes a man of God. You don't know. But you are called to be bold. You are called to share the good news with the lost and hurting, helpless and confused and in distress. You are called to share with them. Even if you're one of them still. Because he will cleanse you. He will save you. He will heal you. He will deliver you. So if you're physically able, can we just get down on our knees at this point? 
just lift up your little wafer as a symbol of honoring the Lord who became flesh. Lord, we come before you and we are grateful that you humbled yourself, that you took on the form of a human being. Jesus, that you suffered and died, that you let your body be broken. Lord, that you let yourself go through that so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be delivered and that we could know you. And Lord, we are so grateful. So we take this little wafer, Lord, and we say thank you. Let's take it together. Now hold up your little cup. Lord, we thank you for your blood that you shed for us, for the compassion that you showered on us, the mercy that you poured out, Lord. We, we were by very nature object, objects of wrath, but yet you chose to pour out your blood and to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could live, so that we could be with you. Lord, that we could have an abundant life and live in eternity. We just drink this cup together. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you to lay on our hearts those who are broken and helpless and confused and in distress. Show us someone, Lord. God, we send us the hungry. Lord, we want to give them good news. Lord, we want to speak your good news. And we, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. You are beyond our comprehension. Lord, we thank you that you desire to bring the lost sheep into your fold. Use us for your glory. You are the one who called us, and you are faithful, and you will do it. And we are so grateful. In the name of Jesus. You guys know the good news, right? Do you know how to share it? Okay, so I'm going to challenge you now. I want you to tell someone in here, someone you're going to share the word with, share the good news with this week. Amen? Okay, I love you guys. I'll see you next week.